how are you going to replace one half of the judges in the Maricopa County Superior Court? How are you going to replace, you know, about half to maybe two thirds of the judges in the city courts? How are you going to do it? You know how great that would be, though? You know what lesson? You know what kind of message it would send to clean up, to fire half the judges and prosecute them? That's that's what needs to happen in this country. It would be right, but at the so same but at the same good. time, no, that's true. But at the same time, the other side of that coin is this: it's twofold. One, not only would you disrupt the entire system, so it means criminal cases. It means that you would have a, a monumental amount, probably twenty five percent of criminal cases in Maricopa County would not be able to get tried. Finally, the wait is over. Anti-aging scientists at Live Longer Labs, who are first to bring the world C60 for human consumption, have now released their much-anticipated New Matrix solution for aging skin. New Matrix was originally formulated six years ago to help California burn victims. Quickly, they realized this life-changing product not only reduces burn scars, it also significantly reverses the signs of aging, like wrinkles and sagging skin. New Matrix, when applied, will immediately stimulate collagen production with a uniquely designed niacin blush. This means you will actually feel it working. The skin will experience moderate heat and a flush-like mild sunburn that will subside in 10 to 15 minutes. This process signals your body to significantly increase collagen production, which results in literally turning back time, producing tighter, more vibrant and youthful skin. Research data shows daily use is as effective as multiple $300 days at the spa, but you can get these continual results every day without the huge price tag. This Christmas, Live Longer Labs is releasing new matrix to the public with a special promotional price of $136.99 versus normal retail of $169. Or better yet, get a bottle of C60 Complete and new matrix for the low price of $199. Normal retail is $259, so that's a $60 savings. Use code Sarah to get these great deals. Only 1,500 bottles of new matrix are available for this promotion. So hurry while supplies last. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have John Thaler coming back to the program. He's the attorney. He has his own law firm and an investigative firm. I've had him on before and I've talked about the Bregger Report. Well, it's John Thaler's company where the Bregger Report came out of it. The lead investigative person on that was Jacqueline Bregger, but was working through the John Thaler organization. And they presented in front of the Arizona Senate, actually it wasn't just the Senate, it was the House and the Senate, all the corruption that was happening in Arizona and how that's affecting elections, how it's affecting human trafficking and drug cartels and, and money laundering and racketeering. And they it created a huge storm. Liz Harris was kicked out for bringing him in and she didn't even realize that what they were going to talk about, it wasn't fair. I had Liz Harris on to talk about it. She won her election and then they made her do another election to get a runoff because of they were going to try to kick her out and she won that. And they still picked the person who got second place so that they could kick her out of office. I mean, this is how serious this was in Arizona. And but it's 26 states that they found are involved in this racketeering that's affecting our elections. It's affecting the fentanyl flowing through the borders. It's affecting the human trafficking. It's a big deal. It is a big part of why we're in the problem that we're in. And we talk about what AGs around the country need to do to deal with this. Every state's a little different. 
Um, states like Arizona is so corrupt to its core that it's affecting every single institution, um, judges. It's really beyond time now that we start prosecuting judges and replacing judges and judges do time for their taking bribes and fixing, fixing cases. And that's what we're seeing. And that's why we're not seeing any justice either. So you go into these cases and hundred percent of the people lose, you know, it just, it makes no sense. That's fraud. And we need to get to the bottom of it, but in every state, we got to clean this up and it's going to be a ton of work, but it's what we have to do. And this investigative report, which is over, I think he says it's like 200,000 pages now, 20,000 affidavits, but he has a book now that's out. That's, I think he said it was six to 700 pages long and it has over 5,000 footnotes or footnotes to 5,000 documents. So if you're getting in a Kindle version, you click on the link and you might have another two pages there. That's not part of the book. So there's just, it's a really deep, thorough investigation. It's meant to be used by people in law enforcement and AGs as a basis for prosecuting and going into this. I think every state in the country needs to be doing this. And it's not a Democrat, Republican. It's not partisan. Who wants this level of corruption? Who wants people to steal money laundering through mortgages and insurance companies is one of the main ways that they're getting away with bribing election officials, with bribing judges. I mean, this is what's happening and it's what we have to clean up. Otherwise, <laughs> we're just, in, it's going to continue like this. We're not going to be able to get our borders closed. We're not going to, or at least stop the flow of fentanyl and killing our kids and the human trafficking that we're seeing. And we, you know, and the election fraud is coming because of these judges and the election officials are all blackmailed. We need to clean that up. So anyways, this is a really good conversation that I have with John Thaler. You can get a copy of his book if you go to thegovernorsreport.com. I will have links to that. And I'll also have links to, well, that one's where you can get the footnotes and you can figure out where to get the book because he has links to where to get the book. I mean, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it anywhere. I think you should just go directly to his site because he does better there, I believe. Otherwise, Amazon's always a good option for people as well. Okay, before I get into that, I want to remind you about the Freedom Buying Club. You can get stuff made in this country. It's not all imported. Nothing is imported. I think they have one eyelash brush that they have for their mascara that's made out of Italy. Other than that, that's what they told me. Other than that, everything's made in the United States. And you can get all the household products that are clean. You don't have to worry about it being in the house for your pets and your grandkids. You can get the beef that is age 21 days clean, no hormones, no antibiotics, pasture raised with their mother. So stress is low. So look for all this at thefreedombuyingclub.com. You need to put in your information and then you got to talk to a representative, but they will explain the whole buying club to you and it will not disappoint. Trust me, the meat is absolutely fantastic. If you haven't had aged 21 day aged beef that's grass-fed and clean you have not had good meat i mean this is incredible okay that being said freedombuyingclub.com let's get into my show with john thaler hi john welcome back to the program hi how are you i'm good and i'm very interested in hearing the responses that you've gotten since you've released your book and I know that it's been a long awaited and people were wanting to hear and see what kind of evidence you had. And I want to hear now that your book is released, 
what kind of response are you getting? Uh, response for the most part has been extremely positive. Uh, I think the first thing that you hear from people is uh, the words, wow. Uh, That's right. You know, one of the things that happened here was that the book began in September of last year, you know, late September. And, you know, it obviously didn't come out until really basically, you know, this September. And, you know, people were asking, especially after the presentation before the Arizona legislature on February 23rd of 2023, you know, well, when's the book coming out? Well, where is it? Well, is there really a book, et cetera? And one of the main comments I think I've gotten is that once people have received it and they see that they're talking about 630 pages and they have it, especially the ones who have it in their hands and can see how big it is. I think the Kindle version is over 900 pages. Uh, their response has basically been, wow. And a lot of them have commented, now we understand why this book took so long because of all the information that's in it, how, how in-depth it goes, uh, you know, how, how many exhibits there are, you know, the number of footnotes. You know, as you know, there's about 507 footnotes in this book that lead to uh, over 5,000 pages of documentary evidence. Uh, so as people are getting it and they're seeing it, you know, they're understanding why this was something that you couldn't put out as like a pamphlet overnight. Yeah, I mean, there's more to this. Now, is this investigative, is it investigation ready? Like, can the Justice Department, can different organizations in law enforcement take this information and, you know, verify it and get it, but then use it to prosecute and to start making a difference? Uh, not only can they do it, uh, generally what my office does is that when we are retained to investigate, you know, there's basically I look at it as being kind of two types of investigations, and sometimes they merge into one. And that is that at, at the start of it, it's an investigation, uh, you know, for a client. A client has hired us to do something. Oftentimes, clients want that to be private. They want that to be internal. It's for their own internal use. It's not to prosecute anybody for a crime. And when you have that situation, uh, then obviously we don't put out stuff publicly. Uh, you know, clients, you know, we'll encourage them if crimes have been committed to go to relevant law enforcement authorities, but that's ultimately their, their call, not ours. Uh, other cases, you know, we do it specifically for government agencies. So when we do that, we're doing it with a, an eye in mind to a grand jury, to what would it take to impanel a grand jury? What would the grand jury want to know? What evidence would it want to see? And so part of what we're doing in that process is making sure that we provide the kind of evidence necessary to prosecute a case. This was kind of a hybrid where it kind of started off as being internal, but with all of the tentacles that came out of this, we really were in a position of having to go beyond that and, and you know, make it much more public. So a number of our clients were good enough to say, yeah, you can do that. Um, you know, they don't always want their names used or want the specifics of the investigation into their material used, but they were very good about saying, yeah, we, we want it that way. So what we've essentially provided is a primer for, you know, presentation to a grand jury. Uh, it gives a grand jury a place to start, a place to issue subpoenas, uh, things like that, ultimately leading to indictments and convictions. So have you had anyone in the Justice Department or in law enforcement, any AGs, who is anybody contacted you saying, this is excellent, this will help us take down the cartel, the corruption in their elections, on and on and on. Have you had anybody that has that kind of power contact you? 
I, I wouldn't put it quite that way. Um, I wouldn't put it quite that way. Long before the book was published, we had met with attorneys general. Um, I've had relationships with attorney general offices, you know, throughout the country over the years, and uh, also with the U.S. Department of Justice over the years because of these kinds of investigations. So when we were pretty sure, uh, roughly, I think it started about April 2021 through July 2021, when we were expanding the investigation and we knew that, you know, what we were seeing was not localized to Arizona, uh, but rather spread into California, Colorado, New Mexico, Nevada, Texas, and then, you know, a whole assortment of other states throughout the country. Uh, we actually got on top of that and went to them and said to them, this is what we've got. This is what we're working on. That way, when we send it, you know, they have some, you know, kind of a primer already from me as to what they're going to be looking at. Uh, we did that especially, I'll tell you one, one case in particular, uh, we did it especially with the New Mexico Attorney General, um, where I met with him in August of 2021. And I went through what we were looking at. Uh, obviously, there's a number of issues in New Mexico. Obviously, people know it's got drug issues. Um, it is a border state, so it has some similar issues to Arizona. Uh, but we were also looking at a, a bankruptcy fraud ring, uh, a multi-state bankruptcy fraud ring. And we had actually taken bankruptcies that we believed to be phony uh, and had actually gone to and checked out the addresses of the bankruptcy claimants, of, of the petitioners, and found that in 11 cases just in the, uh, the, the city of Albuquerque, that I think it was something like eight of the addresses literally didn't exist, and the other three were not addresses that could exist. For example, one was a hotel, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or one was a, you know, a, a vacant lot. Uh, so we went to them with that and said, here's what we're pursuing. Here's what the investigation has. Here's what we're going to be sending you over time. And, you know, and there were some things we needed. For example, one of the things we needed from them is that unlike uh, Arizona and especially Maricopa County, where you can access deeds, you can access recorded records uh, online. One of the issues that we had is that in, in Albuquerque, uh, which uh, is Sandoval County, uh, you have to pay for those records. So, you know, you're paying $6 a page, you know, for a record. That's a little beyond, you know, what we're necessarily budgeted for. So one of the other requests that we made of them is we said, look, we can go around from address to address, but we also believe we have the falsified deeds. We have the, we have the bribery, et cetera. We need your help in getting these documents. And the attorney general assigned one of the top investigators to us who helped us obtain a number of different documents. So along the way, we do that. And usually we get out ahead of it. Um, we have just, you know, because the book is kind of kind of new, we are now currently in the process of providing the materials to the relevant attorneys general uh, and to other federal agencies. Let me say one more thing about that. With respect to federal agencies, we again have been working with them since 2021. Uh, you know, A Arizona has its own set of problems, which is why you don't out, outwardly see things going on there. But in other states, we have worked with them before and we work with them now. Uh, and that's in addition to other federal agencies. So, you know, it, it's it's kind of, I would put it this way, we don't really wait for the book to come out for us to do our job with law enforcement. We actually begin the process when we know we've got, we've got a case going on. Well, these crimes are nonpartisan, right? It's everybody should not like to see these crimes. These are just blatant crimes that you're uncovering. Are you Correct. seeing 
AGs from all different different states that are responding and in a positive way, or are you seeing kind of a partisan divide where there shouldn't be, but are you? That's a good question. Uh, I would say it this way. Um, at, at the it's and I think it's I think the current AG uh, there's a new AG because of term limits in New Mexico who I believe is also Democrat, but I, I'm willing to be wrong on that. But the uh, Attorney General who we met with in in New Mexico is Democrat. Attorney General and Attorney General's office in California, who we met with, is also Democrat. Uh, Texas uh, and Ken Paxton, obviously, are Republican. Um, so I would put it this way. I don't think it's made any difference. The difference tends to be the levels of corruption, uh, how high up it goes, and whether or not you know anyone you know at, at high levels in Attorney General's offices have had some idea about this and have either, I, I'm not so sure I would use the word covered up, but certainly turned a blind eye. Uh, for those states and attorneys general, whether Republican or Democrat, uh, who are working to fight corruption, uh, we've never had a problem. The party issue makes no difference whatsoever. Well, that's good. Now, Arizona is a state where it is, um, it's bipartisan, but in a way that both parties don't want anything to do with this. Can you talk about what you did and kind of some of the responses there. It's really sad because this is blatant corruption that's documented with proof right. and they don't want to do anything. But can you talk a little bit about your experience and what you did and some of the things that you've heard there in Arizona? Well, uh, yeah, let me say this about Arizona. Um, there are, you know, I, I don't, I, it's, it's hard because this is a book that clearly focuses on Arizona and that's a big deal. But I would say it this way. There are, a number of really good officials in the state of Arizona. It is not fair to say that everybody takes bribes or that everybody knows about it or that nobody will do anything about it. It's not, it's not so. Uh, we've kept it much more quiet about what we do in Arizona uh, behind the scenes because of the level of corruption. Uh, you know, when we, when we face like, for example, again, with the New Mexico attorney general, uh, they make their own calls. They do their own thing. They're not beholden to the governor. They're not beholden to you know the, the House or, or state Senate. Uh, you know they can do their own thing. In Arizona, the level of corruption uh, is entirely different. Uh, the level of corruption is entirely different. You mean and it's so worse in the state? I, I, well, it's or worse. Different. It's more pervasive. And and I, I talk about this in the book. Let me explain it maybe this way, especially for people who are not from Arizona. Arizona, although a state, uh, obviously, uh, really is made up of different territories. Um, yes, we call them, you know, we call them counties, etc. But they're really very different territories. And the history of Arizona, unlike other states, is such that really until about the year 2000, and certainly not until the mid-1990s, there was no freeway system. So mm -hmm. cities were kind of their own, th their own kingdoms, if you will. Mesa was different than Gilbert, which was different than Chandler, which was different than Avondale, which was different than Goodyear, which was different than Cave Creek. These are all cities that are suburbs of Phoenix, but you'd never know it. And if you wanted to get to one of them, this was about 45 minutes to an hour of street driving because there was no other way to get there. So they were not connected, which meant not only did they form their own governments, you know, their own local city, local governments, but they all had their own fire departments. They all had their own police departments. They all have their own budgets. They all have their own taxation. So they operate kind of like many states. 
Many of you remember Dr. Zelenko, the courageous doctor who saved countless lives using hydroxychloroquine during the pandemic. Dr. Z not only saved lives in the United States, but many countries adopted his protocols and he saved even more lives around the world. Since those early days, him and his team at ZStack developed an entire line of immunity building supplements from Z Detox to Z Shield to Z Night. Now they also have Kids ZStack. It's the same as the adult ZStack, but formulated to protect kids from the onslaught they will see this cold and flu season. What many don't know about Dr. Z was his passion to end child trafficking. Before he passed away, he partnered with Mission Safe Harbor, and now a portion of every sale of Kids ZStack is donated to help end child trafficking. Now you can protect your kids while also helping to protect kids everywhere. Buy using the link below or go to sarahwestall.com under shop. Know you are protecting your entire family while also helping to end child trafficking. And that's one of the reasons why Arizona has the level of corruption it does is because the corruption doesn't simply start at the state level and work its way down. It starts from the city levels, works its way up to the counties and from the counties to the states. And that makes it very, very different so that you're dealing with corruption at the local level. You're dealing with local corrupt officials. You're dealing with local corrupt police officers. And again, that's not every police officer by any means, but the corruption starts at that local level. So rather than you know going after you know a state's representative either in the legislature or going after a governor or going after attorney general or going after say you know a department head of a particular you know, state agency, uh, in Arizona you really have to start at the local level, and that's much more difficult when each one has their own police force and and kind of enforces their own laws however they feel feel fit to do it, and because of the history of the states. Uh, you know, the attorney general's office and even the county sheriff's offices do not interfere. Um, you're seeing a little of it now because of election fraud, but essentially they don't interfere. So if if the city of Mesa is violating the law, don't expect you're going to get help from the county of, of Maricopa. Don't expect you're going to get help from the state attorney general's office. They just don't do it. And again, it has a lot to do with this this history. So when in Arizona, we get a lot of resistance at every single level, um, you know, and, and as the book talks about, I mean, that's one of the problems. You know, the first resistance I got was not from the state. Uh, it was from really the, the city, the town of Gilbert and the city of Mesa, and then from the, you know, from Maricopa County. Um, and when you have that, trying to go up to an attorney general and, and get any relief in a state like Arizona is almost impossible. So... Are other attorney generals in other states taking an interest that may not be in the 26? Because I would think that states would look at this and say, okay, this is really a relevant deal. So are you getting AGs that are taking an interest that are saying, hey, maybe we need to expand this investigation? Yes. Well, let me put it to you this way. Um, in, in states like California, California, well, let me give you an example this way. One of the things we talk about in the book is we talk about uh, the access liens, uh, access meaning A-C-H-H-H-S liens. And that that's the liens that are basically, um, you know, accident liens uh, that wind up getting paid by Medicaid, uh, you know, by the state, by the federal and state Medicaid program. So, for example, if I'm in a car accident, somebody runs into my car and I'm taken to the hospital, um, I can be treated uh, on a lien basis, which is very, you know, very common for, for accidents. And then what winds up happening is that, you know, when the case settles, 
the hospital or the facility I was taken to gets paid. You know, very simple, straightforward. Anybody who's been in a car accident, I'm sure has done this. Um, you know, we have found over 25,000 falsified access liens uh, in Arizona, uh, you know, especially in eight of the counties, uh, you know, over the last 15 years. I mean, 25,000 of these, there may be more, but at least 25,000. You know, that comes out to over $100 million in, in, in fake claims that have been paid. Um, $100 million is a lot of money for a state like Arizona. Yes, not a little money for anybody, but it's a lot for a state like Arizona, which only has about an 8 million person population. Um, we have found similar things in California. The difference is, is that in Arizona, fortunately, these liens get recorded. So we're able to go into the recorder's office records and find them, find the falsified liens. In California, because and in most states, because liens do not get recorded, we have a much harder time figuring out whether or not you know a lien is phony because we don't have a sourcing um, uh, database. We can't just go to a recorder's office and look at the lien, and that makes it much tougher. So for things like that, we have to go to the attorney general's office, explain to them what we're seeing in Arizona, explain to them you know which is pretty obvious in this case, but explain why they're not going to be seeing that in California, and then devise ways to try to investigate. You know, uh, we, we try to get the help of insurance companies, for example. Um, once we know certain patterns, uh, for example, the access liens in Arizona, probably 90% of them uh, run off of what we call MedPay provisions, meaning that the lien gets paid on, on about $5,000 or less of a claim, and they get paid by MedPay. So what we ask the insurers to do is to run, you know, run algorithms on their MedPay provisions to try to determine if the same thing is happening. We're just not obviously able to see the lien. Um, so the attorney general's offices have been very good about stepping in and trying to create, you know, or recreate some of our algorithms, you know, to see things like this. So you are getting a good amount of response from AGs. You're reaching out to them. They're working with you. Are you seeing promising? coalition of to take down this corruption and to clean it up or is it just kind of window washing and oh, that's nice that you have a really I, good investigation I, I the, but it's going to be shelved yeah well i i hate the expression whack-a-mole i really hate it because I, I i rarely find it to be true um i think it tends to be an excuse but one of the problems here is that so long as the systemic issues exist the corruption will exist um, in Arizona, which is probably the best example of this, if they do not change a number of things, I mean, statutorily change, you know, for example, how judges are appointed, if they do not change uh, laws regarding, you know, my situation with my son, who you can you can see you know, right over my shoulder here, McKinley, if they don't change some of the family law rules, if they don't change some of the jurisdictional rules, none of this is going to matter. You can catch the bad guys, but you're not going to stop the problem. In other states like California, it really has much more to do with size and not with corruption. You know, California having, what, 38 million people now. I mean, consider that. You know, California's got 38 million people to 8 million people. Uh, you know, the difference is, is monumental uh, in terms of services and in terms of law enforcement. Um, I used to serve in California. I used to serve as what's called special master which we've heard that term a little bit related to, to Donald Trump and, and one of his cases more recently. But a special master essentially is somebody who's appointed by a court to act as the eyes and ears of a judge on warrants. So when a warrant is being served for, you know, usually a search warrant is being served somewhere for some kind of a crime, uh, the court appoints someone like me to literally be on the scenes 
to determine what materials the police can take and what materials they can't. This is usually done with respect to doctor's offices, lawyers' offices, uh, churches, anywhere where a privilege, you know, a known privilege, attorney-client privilege, you know, doctor-patient confidentiality in those areas so that I'm the person on the scene who decides what records can be taken, what records cannot be based on the scope of the warrant. Um, in California, a lot of this work that, that I would do and a lot of the work that gets done there generally runs to Medicaid and Medicare fraud. Uh, that's probably the, the two biggest areas. And the problem is, of course, is not, you know, not corrupt officials. It's when you have 38 million people, it's very, very, very difficult to stop Medicaid fraud and Medicare fraud. It's just you just can't do it. And we're certainly not you know, exporting you know, half the California population to solve the problem. So that's a problem no matter how many clinics you, know, you bust, no matter how many doctors you, know, you put in jail, you're, you're still going to get this problem. There's too much money in the system. With Arizona, the problem is much more systemic, which means that you know, because the agencies are corrupted, um, it's going to be very difficult to pull this apart. For example, when I mentioned the access liens a few minutes ago, there's no question whatsoever that for that program to work, for the 25,000 or so falsified liens to go through the system, there had to be an inside job. So that means that you've got people not just on the outside who are falsifying the liens and, and recording these liens and then you know, providing them to you know, the, the, the office that handles them, the Medicaid office that handles them. It also means you have people inside the Medicaid office who are approving them. Someone on the other end is approving them. That's a different problem than in California. California is usually uh, you know, an issue because of, of just sheer size. Arizona, because of corruption within the institution itself. Okay, well, let's let's zoom out a little bit because we're talking about the, there's people stealing money, which is the liens and this press, but we're also talking about a, a, the outcomes of elections, fixing elections. We're talking about human trafficking. We're talking about open borders. And right. so much of this corruption is causing those three items. And those three items is destroying our country. So are you, and you have the information that can help to turn that around based on digging up the the criminals behind all this. I would think that every single caring patriot in this country, Democrat or Republican, would care about your information because of those three items. Are you getting anybody being more serious about looking at it from to try to end those or to try to fix some of those areas? Yeah, yes, we are. Um, I, I can you I give us some specifics. Liberty. Without divulging, you know. Well, yeah. Let me let me see if I can say it this way. Um, in order to, to to do, for example, one of the obvious things that you know we were kind of now famous for, I guess, is the 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 uh, the mortgage fraud, the the mortgage and the property fraud, and the falsified um, trustees and warranty deeds. Uh, you know, so a lot of racketeering, a lot of money laundering through properties. Um, I would say it this way: for there to be a mortgage company that operates, you know, whether it's a private mortgage company or a bank, but in this case, a private mortgage company to operate in the state of Arizona, there's a number of things that they have to do. Um, you can't just open a company tomorrow and start giving mortgages. You, you, you can't, it doesn't work that way. There's a lot of regulatory things that need to be done. Um, one of the ways in which we can shut this down, one of the ways we're working on doing so is with those regulatory agencies. Um, a lot of those agencies, you know, get blindsided in this because they don't generally have the kind of, you know, policing powers uh, to do investigations. So if you're if you're if you're a private mortgage lender 
that's being set up specifically to launder money, which is a, a mainstay for the state of Arizona. Uh, you've got to file papers with the Department of Real Estate. You've got to file papers with the Arizona Corporations Commission. You've got to you know, file for a business license, um, you know, and so on and so forth. There's at least a number of hoops you have to go through, even if these are not ones where there's an investigation at any point uh, or anyone's going to step in. But you have to at least be regulated. One of the things that we're able to do is, you know, if you can't go to the attorney general's office, if you can't go to the local police, one of the things you can do is go to the regulatory agencies and you can get them involved. You can go to them and you can show them the evidence. And, you know, on the regulatory side, they can shut some things down. For example, if you need a, a license from the Department of Real Estate and the Department of Real Estate determines that you're committing fraud, they can shut down your license, which, you know, doesn't mean you couldn't just pretend you have one, obviously, but it does make it much more much more difficult to operate. So what we cannot do, say, directly with what we would consider traditional law enforcement, we can do and are doing with regulatory agencies. Okay, so there are other avenues and different people that are trying to figure out ways around the corruption that are in law that's in law enforcement, because right. enough people see that this is destroying our country. And if we don't do something, and you have the information on a silver platter for people. So I don't know why you don't have people knocking down your doors trying to get this information. Well, you know, part of the one of the interesting problems about investigations is that, you know, when it's very limited, you know, when we're looking at, you know, for example, if we're looking at somebody who's embezzling within a company, we find that whoever's embezzling, maybe there's a couple of people doing it. Maybe there's somebody in payroll and there's somebody obviously who's employed and you get three or four people maybe and you bust them. And you throw them out of the company and maybe you press charges and maybe you don't. It depends on what the company wants to do. But it's very targeted and, and, and very particular. One of the problems here, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I don't believe I said this line in the book, but it's one I've used before. And that is um, for those people who know who Gore Vidal was, he was a, a very famous writer. Um, he wrote a number of screenplays as well. Uh, but he wrote a number of historical books. One of his most famous ones is about is called Burr. It's about Aaron Burr. Um, he, in an interview once uh, with Playboy magazine, was asked about Hollywood and why he hated Hollywood so much, even though he wrote scripts. And he said it this way. He said, Hollywood is a town where everyone lies. And the worst thing you can do is blow someone else's lie. And what he meant by that is he said, you know, people lie about who they know. They lie about what they've done. They lie about their resume. They lie about what they're going to do. And when you're at a party, your job is to protect their lie. They will protect your lie if you protect their lie. The worst thing you can do is blow somebody's lie. So in a state like Arizona, where you have so much corruption, the problem is, is that you go to an agency and you find that somebody at the agency, you know, may have taken, you know, a, a bribe, may have taken a, a mortgage at some point. It may not be anything what we would consider huge and it may not be monumental, but they did it. And the problem is, is they know that if they blow someone else's lie, that's going to come back on them and blow theirs. That's so the, one of the, the hardest parts. The uh, yeah. what do you call it with nuclear war, where it was the uh, dual, yeah, mutually assured destruction, mutual exactly. destruct destruction. That's why blackmail works. They're not comfortable unless they have something on you, and the other right. person's not comfortable unless they have something on each. They need something on each other. That's how the blackmail but, system works. Yeah, one of the things that we did uh, early on when we started to find a number of judges who were accepting bribes, um, in Maricopa County, Maricopa County, for those who don't know, is the greater Phoenix area. 
when we started to find documents and were able to kind of put together again algorithms to find documents on judges who had taken bribes, one of the things that we did is we happened to, as, as a matter of course, we just happened to know one of the judges. One of somebody I, I knew at all. It was somebody one of my investigators knew. I uh, happened to know personally. Not, not some great personal relationship, but, but knew and known for years personally. Mm -hmm. um, and the investigator called the judge and said, I'd like to talk to you about your documents. Um, the screaming, yelling, ranting, and raving that then came both from the judge and the judge, in this case, it was a female judge, and the judge's husband, um, you probably could have heard it in other states. Uh, you know, you know, we're, you know, how can you look at our documents? You're breaking the law. You can't look at this. This is all public records that we're looking at. Um, you know, we're going to come after you. We're going to have you arrested, on and on and on. I mean, this is the response you get. And they go you know, immediately into offensive defensive oh, mode. I mean, they just attack. Immediate, immediately in defense. We couldn't, we didn't even get to ask a question. We just simply oh. said, Hey, we've got some documents here, some deed documents here. We'd like to ask you about them. That was all it took. Uh, well, because so they were guilty, you, right? I mean, they're guilty. So right. somebody who's not guilty doesn't act like that. No. And you would think, you would think, and frankly, you know, when we were originally going to approach this judge and, and ask other questions, not about the judge, but, you know, every time we've, you know, we are going to talk to a public official, you know, we make sure we do our homework first to know who we're talking to. I mean, we've talked to public officials straight out who we know have, have bad documents and they know we know this, but their bad documents pale in comparison uh, to, you know, to the overall problem. So we get some level of cooperation from them. Uh, this was somebody who we had no idea had a problem until literally uh, about a day or two before we were going to go talk to them. And when we found them, we thought, well, maybe we ought to ask about this. And, you know, we had no idea you know, that we, you know, for sure what we had or why we had it, but we knew what we were looking at and we had questions and all we were going to do is ask questions. Couldn't even do that. Um, and, and that's kind of par for the course here. Uh, you know, you ask a question, you're shut down immediately. Uh, so that makes it, like I said, that makes it very difficult. So again, in, in other states, they have actually taken action and not just from us. I mean, long before me, sure. um, one of the things I talk about in the book is a, um, a, a series of mortgage fraud transactions, property purchase transactions that were money laundering in the Midwest, uh, you know, give or take in the early 2000s, uh, where the Justice Department did come in, did bust, bust the bad guys, didn't just bust, you know, the, the drug people who were putting the monies into the properties, but busted you know, appraisers, uh, busted real estate agents, busted brokers, everybody involved in the transactions was ultimately charged with crimes. Um, it's just, it, just so people know, it's called the Harriet Cooper case, C-O-O-P-E-R, the Harriet Cooper case, and it took place in, uh, in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, there's been a number of these cases throughout the country. Uh, you know, most of the things that we have found in Arizona are not new. They're not things that we've come up with or we've discovered, you know, like Eureka, all of a sudden we're in the new world. These are, th these are tried and true ways in which, you know, drug cartels, uh, anybody who wants to launder money, you know, you know does it. Um, so there's nothing new about this. But it's, like I it's said, not problem... new, but the profound thing on this is that it's what's causing the fixed elections, the the right. border, uh, all, our main, some of our main problems in our country is because of what you've uncovered. How much would it cost for each state to get an in-depth investigation like what you did in Arizona? Because I think of what we could do if every state did this and started cleaning their act up. 
Um, well, I would say I would look at it a slightly different way than that. Um, I'm going to be proposing to uh, Chris Mays, who's the, the attorney general for the state of Arizona. I'm going to actually be proposing to her probably next week uh, a plan to put together a, a task force. And you say, well, why a task force? Didn't you already do this? Yes and no. There's a lot that we've done. There's a lot that we would want to uncover uh, in order to go to a grand jury, in order to, to indict, in order to charge, put people in jail, so on and so forth. Um, I'm going to propose essentially a 10-person team. Um, and I will lay out the parameters of the team. I will lay out what they will do, what the what their exact purpose is of each person, what I expect to happen, and the length of time that they would investigate, which would roughly be about 12 months uh, with the possibility of another six. And the idea would be not, not just to throw people in jail, but to clean up the problem. Because again, right. like you said, the whack-a-mole problem, throwing somebody in jail just breeds another person. It doesn't solve the problem. So, you know, it's to come up with solutions to these things, you know, stop gaps that, that prevent this from happening again. Um, the budget for that is pretty minimal. Um, I, I couldn't give you an exact number at the moment, but I can say it's certainly well below a million dollars. And for a state agency or, or a task force to have a budget of less than a million dollars is not exactly a, a hardship. Yeah, I, no, that's actually, it it's going to save them. It's, it's so important, right. something that's this critical. Now, I, what would it take to get every state in the country to do this investigation? And you say a task force is what they need. What would it take? Because a million dollars per state, which is no, trivial. because they, no, no. Let me say no. Let me say something about that too, because I want to go a little bit further with this. Okay. Um, a lot of it has to do with the size of the state and the level of the problem. Um, you know, you you know, you've got very different states between Missouri and Iowa, Indiana. You know, say in the Midwest is very different than, say, Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, you know, on the East Coast, which is very different than California. So you have different concerns and different problems, which require different things. One of the things they require, for example, is different skills. Um, you know, in the case of, say, the mortgage fraud and, and, and the property fraud deeds, you know, having a, a you know, question documents examiner on the payroll is very important. Uh, you know, for California, probably that's the le lesser important and probably having forensic accountants is more important. So it, it, it varies from state to state. What I would say, though, is this. The problem is not the expense of the investigation. Every state could afford the investigation. This is not hard to investigate. We've created enough algorithms to be able to at least preliminarily do the job. The bigger problem here is what happens next. In Arizona, it's not, it, there's two problems. One is you would have to revamp and redo every state agency. You would have to revamp and redo every single computer database system. Every system in Arizona, every single one of them is infiltrated. And well, I, I draw this distinction. I, I want to draw this. Then distinction that's what real we quick. have to do, though, right? I mean, it's like, for, okay, for, for, then let's well, go for, for sure, it. But, but, go let me, but, let me, but let me explain the problem. Yes, to get rid of the problem, you have to do that. Here's why nobody does it. In a state like Arizona, the, it's not just the cost of getting rid of the problem. Once we did our work, once we issued you know, a, you know, an updated report, we said, here's all the corrupt officials, get rid of them. Let's assume tomorrow you get rid of them. How are you going to replace one half of the judges in the Maricopa County Superior Court? How are you going to replace you know, about half to maybe two thirds of the judges in the city courts? How are you going to do Gosh, it? You know how great what, that would be, though? The, you know what plan? lesson? You know what kind of message it would send to clean up, to fire half the judges and prosecute them? That's that's what needs to happen in this country. It would be right, but at the so same but at the same good. time, 
no, that's true. But at the same time, the other side of that coin is this, it's twofold. One, not only would you disrupt the entire system, so it means criminal cases. It means that you would have a, a monumental amount, probably 25% of criminal cases in Maricopa County would not be able to get tried. And if every one of those defendants asks for a speedy trial, they're going to wind up being released. Are you okay with that? It's going to be awful, and, and maybe you do it in pieces, yeah. but it has to be done. Right. And, and it'll so be disruptive are, so, while you're doing it. It's kind of, right. it's, you're going to war right. with the criminals. So it's going to be disruptive. Now, now wait, now, now, there's, now there's another cost, which we don't talk about. Sure. Now let's assume you do all that. Let's assume, you know, we, we get a task force, we do all that, we throw the bums out. Everybody we check, you know, it's clean. We do better background checks. You know, we take out the corruption. We fix, we send the billions of dollars to fix the computer systems. Everything's great. Okay, fine. Now, how is Arizona going to survive without the capital? Now, the problem is, is that you've gotten rid of all that. Are the people of Arizona going to pay, uh, you know, what is going to probably be about a third higher property taxes? Certainly, they're going to have to pay higher sales taxes probably higher income taxes, and I mean, you know, significantly higher to make up the shortfall of what gets into the system at the moment because of the illegal transactions. Remember, a tra a money laundering is about is essentially about tax evasion and, and, and reporting evasion. However, once the money's laundered, it's used for things. You know, the fact that monies go into real estate bumps up the price of real estate. And if you're a homeowner, that's great. So all of a sudden, the value of your property is going to shrink. Are you okay with that? Well, uh, you know, it is a money... pain in the it, it'll be a short term pain. And I, I suppose they all have to feel it across the board. I think you told me it was something like 15 percent of their economy. I think yeah, that's, that's probably about right. And, and almost every budget for a state can be cut by 15 percent and still be OK. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I don't I, find I'm that not suggesting for a moment. Well, let me be clear. I'm not suggesting for a moment we don't do it. I, I, I you know, exactly the opposite. But people have got to understand what it really means. And one of the reasons why it, you know, none of this ever happens in a state like Arizona uh, and why, you know, good people, uh, people who are in office who are good people uh, do not do not get anything done. Don't don't even get into these areas is because in the end, um, you know, you're going to be cutting the budget so badly with the with the amount of you know, GDP that you're going to take out of the economy. Well, um, 15% cut from the state budget could actually help the state do better. Well, in Arizona, probably not. Um, in, in California, probably for sure. Um, and again, this is the difference between different states. Um, you know, Arizona runs on a fairly, uh, on a very, very, very low margin as it is. Um, and frankly, uh, it would not run. I've said this before. It would not run. If you shut down tomorrow the border, you shut down everything coming over the border, you shut down drug dealers, you shut down the ways in which they could they can launder money, you would literally shut down the state. Now, well, I'm fine with that. For the reasons you and I talked about, I'm well, fine it's with affecting, that. Affecting, yeah, it's affecting the rest of the states. And if Arizona yeah. doesn't get their act together, it's affecting all of us because yeah. these immigrants are coming through. The election affected all of us. The money launder or the... Um, drug and human trafficking all that's happening and we can't do anything because we're worried about arizona taxpayers i don't care they're affecting all of us and people are dying the other states should demand that arizona cleans up their act but every state needs to do clean up their own act too i, I could see this right. this really should be an investigation in every state because you will flourish more when you get rid of corruption that the corruption takes the, the stealing out of the system 
hurts more people. There's been so many studies on this, on getting rid of corruption makes things better, lifts all boats, except maybe the criminals themselves. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And and we wouldn't have, have done what we did. We would, certainly would not have put out this book, um, you know, and, and be as comprehensive as we are about this in the state of Arizona if we didn't feel that way. We, we all feel that way. Uh, but it is part of why nothing gets done. And it is part of why, you know, the process is so hard. This is not, as we've said to people, this is not something that happened overnight. Um, you know, this is a 30, really more than 30 year, but in terms of the, of the state issue, this is really a 30 year process. Uh, you know, where, where slow growth corruption has now infiltrated every area of the state. Um, you know, in areas in other states, you know, like we said, in, in, in Illinois, in Indiana, uh, in, in Iowa, for example, the, the three I states that are next to each other. Um, you know, we have a great deal of, of, you know, corruption as well. They're not, they're not, they're not immune from it. But the de degree to which it affects everyday life isn't, isn't the same. And so generally you can target that corruption and get rid of get rid of you know one area of it winds up getting rid of other areas of it and and they've proved it you know the U.S. Justice Department has has proved that yeah. um, with Arizona it's a much bigger problem and that's why I say I'm I'm all for it or I wouldn't have put out the book uh, but people got to understand what it really will take to do it and it's a lot and you got to have you know everybody in this you know the people in the state of Arizona who say oh this corruption is horrible this election fraud is horrible have also got to be the ones who support the higher taxes that they're going to have to pay for a while. I'm going to support, you know, the lack of services they're going to get for a while. You got to be willing to go all the way through. Or you can't you, just you, complain about the corruption. You get some good business people that figure out how to restructure it so that that 15% actually isn't that painful. Because well, the other thing, the other I thing would argue that us, there's, I would be, I'm pretty skeptical that there isn't 15% from Arizona that can be cut either. But well, I mean, usually the, the other, in business, if you pare down the the fat, you actually end up running better. And things are better. No, I, and I don't disagree. One of the advantages we have in Arizona is that over the last really 10 years, but you know, but 20 years total, um, Arizona has attracted a lot of business from California and, and for good reason. We all, we all know the reasons why. Um, yep. the, but those businesses have been subjected to a lot of ripoff. Uh, one of the ways that we talk about in the book is the payroll theft, payroll theft and, and life insurance fraud. So one of the things that, you know, we've been able to do because our clients are businesses, our large scale businesses, uh, the, they have, you know, they have some power, they have some cloud, you know, they can't just get up and move again. And they're not going to, you know, that, that, that's not likely to happen. But uh, a lot of these businesses, you know, have the power to say to the politicians, if you don't change that, we're not going to expand our plant. We're not going to build more here. We're going to slowly move out of the state. So, you know, when you take companies like Boeing, General Dynamics, McDonnell Douglas, uh, you take the healthcare companies, you know, um, uh, uh, Honor Health, uh, United Healthcare, you take insurance companies like USAA, uh, you know, that has a big presence there, State Farm, Farmers, et cetera, that have large scale presences uh, in Arizona, they don't have to be there. And if they're getting ripped off internally, uh, you know, with payroll theft and insurance fraud, because nobody in the state of Arizona is willing to do anything, you know, that's a disaster ultimately for the state of Arizona. And that's kind of the way I, I would put it to the people of Arizona. Um, ultimately, employers are going to leave just like they left California, they will leave you and you will not have a job and you will not be paying your mortgage. So you have to run a clean state, you have to run a state where, um, where 
the court system is fair and honest, at least as fair and honest as the court system can be. You've got to have fair policing, et cetera. If you don't have these things, businesses will leave and you will not have employment and you will not have money for the budget. So one way or the other, the state of Arizona is losing out. It's going to lose if, if corporations leave. And this is the point where, with the book out, corporations can now put pressure on their elected officials, on the state government to do something. Okay, so that's a positive. I would just like to see it across the entire country. I'd like to see every state. I'd like to see the state I'm in for sure, because I know corruption is is out of control up here in Minnesota. Every state would benefit from something like this. I would think that the politicians who are in bed with these guys, this is the last thing. I mean, we saw the politicians and how they treated you guys and how they treated... Uh, Oh yeah, um, you know it, it's been incredible over there, and I think well, one every... of the one of the things that yeah, one of the things you have going on in Minnesota uh, is probably the, the 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 highest level of corruption, corruptive issues in in Minnesota is insurers. You have a number of insurers of of uh, you know companies that are not the the ones that people know the names of. You know, most people you know obviously know the ones that run commercials on TV. Certainly, that's a lot for home and auto and stuff like that. Sometimes they'll hear some of the bigger ones like MetLife, et cetera. But, you know, Minnesota is home to a lot of insurance companies. And a lot of these insurance companies are directly involved in the fraud. Um, you know, it happens in Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, obviously Connecticut. You know, have an awful lot of insurance companies, you know, housed there because of, of you know, certain tax rules and, and corporation rules uh, that are involved in frauds across the country, including in, in states uh, you know, the states like, like Arizona. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it certainly is an across-the-board problem. And yes, we would like to see that too. We, we would like to see attorneys general get together and, and discuss this and put together task forces, uh, you know, that can, that can deal with this. And like I said, every state is different, um, but it can be done. Well, how much does the state benefit the having insurance companies of the state itself benefit from having that capital inflow or is it just the criminals benefit and the state itself uh, is hurting well okay without getting into the weeds of of economics because there's a lot of debate about this i would say it this way if you believe that bringing businesses into your state is a positive if you believe that it creates employment it then creates gdp you know remember you know the executive who makes all that money has to spend money on cars on housing on going to restaurants, you know, that trickles down to the waiter at the restaurant, you know, so on and so forth. If you believe in that model, which is, would be in essence the Texas model, you know, bring businesses into the state, bring people into the state to, to work the businesses. Um, if you believe that to be a positive, then yeah, the, the, the both sides benefit. The company usually benefits because of either because of specific tax breaks that are given or because of just a low tax structure in the first place. Uh, and may, maybe even potentially lower building costs, which is not the case in Minnesota, but lower building costs like you have in Texas um, versus the money that you get back in employment uh, and the trickle down effect that you have, um, you know, from from high end employment. Um, you know, whole communities have sprung up in Texas over the last 10 years because a company has moved into it. Uh, you know, when, when they move into it, I, I think this is Mesa, Arizona. Mesa, Arizona exists like it does today because it has defense contractors, because it has Boeing and General Dynamics and McDonnell Douglas. You know, the, the people who are employed there live there. Uh, you know, so that creates a housing market, that creates supermarkets, that creates, you know, a job for your 16 year old as, as a box boy or girl. Um, you know, all of that has economic benefit. So in a state like Minnesota, 
where you certainly, you know, you certainly have weather issues and, and other things that that are not so so positive, you know, in office corporations, you know, non-manufacturing in office corporations such as insurance companies are very are very positive. They're reasonably low cost because employees are all basically connected to a large office. Uh, so you have a lot lower costs, you know, of, of, of you know, a lot lower cost of sewer and a lot lower cost of trash and on and on. On the other hand, you get the economic benefit of the employment. So, you know, for, for a state like that, yeah, it's a net positive. Um, and that's even if why they're criminals, though, I mean, even if they're criminals doing the laundering, you think it still is a, a net positive for the economy? Yes. Um, okay. yeah, yes, I think I think it is. I, and that doesn't make it good. But yes, I think it is. Now, do I think it would be a, a greater net positive without it? Sure. For sure it would be. Yeah. Okay. But states, but as you know, states are now in a way that they didn't do 30 years ago. You know, states are competing for business. Um, you know, how, how are you bringing in business? I mean, Arizona's done this. I, I mean, Katie Hobbs was just uh, in, in South Korea and in Taiwan, uh, you know, trying to get businesses to, to, to expand, you know, from those countries into Arizona. Um, she's the you know, worst though, because she's she's the one that could be prosecuted pretty easily based on the evidence that you have, and she's still sitting there. Yeah, yeah. But the point of it is, is that when you have a competitive market now, something that you really didn't have 30 years ago, you know, you have a competitive market where states are specifically competing for business. Um, this is this is what you get. So you know, it's very very hard in the end to determine net positives and and net negatives here. Um, one of the ways we have seen it, for example, just just an easy one, is in stadiums. You know, we've seen cities decide to build stadiums for teams, either to keep a team in 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 that particular city or that state, you know, or to bring one in uh, on the grounds that you know, if you build, a, for example, uh, in in Nevada, they built Allegiant Stadium uh, for the Raiders. Uh, the number of people who are employed through Allegiant, you know, whether you're selling T-shirts or selling hot dogs, or you're a parking attendant, or you're the nearby businesses that people go and eat at, you know, the eateries that people go and eat at before games or after games, you know, they look at that as a net benefit. They spend billions of dollars building this stadium. Anybody who's been to Vegas has seen it. It's, it's huge. Um, you know, holds about 105,000 people. It obviously does concerts as well and other, other events. Um, how do you measure, you know, the billions you spent versus the money's taken in? Well, after a while, you can, you can sort of do that. Uh, the Oakland A's are now going to be moving to Las Vegas, uh, where the Tropicana currently exists. They're going to be building, they're going to be tearing it down and building a 35,000 seat stadium. That's going to cost, I think the current estimate, which always has overruns, is about $1.2 billion for this. Now, that's a lot of money for a 30,000 seat stadium. Uh, but does the overall economic benefit outweigh the cost? So if you're asking the people of, of Las Vegas or Clark County to pay taxes on that, is that going to be a net benefit? We'll see. Don't know. That's a much closer call. Um, with businesses, it's very difficult. But you know, certainly Texas has modeled itself this way. We're business friendly. Bring your business here. We'll help you build a, a planned unit community. Uh, and everybody wins. So far, so good. We'll see. There are, was an article last week about Texas suggesting that it isn't as great as people thought it was going to be. Uh, that the economic benefits are not as great as what was originally predicted. And some of the companies, you know, smaller companies that can do this are choosing not to renew leases on land, et cetera, and may move out, may move to other states. Uh, on the other hand, New Mexico, for example, decided to create a whole film industry. Uh, when Bill Richardson was, was governor, 
uh, they created a film industry. And actually, anybody who's been to, to Albuquerque in the, in the last uh, last 10 years has probably seen some of the studios that have have come up there because they they don't have union issues. They don't have the taxation issues like California does. And so they go and they court productions. As people know, of course, about the Alec Baldwin situation, you know, that was a studio that's about halfway between Albuquerque and Santa Fe. Um, but the reason the movie was being shot there was because of these tax benefits. So it's it's very hard. It's very hard to measure these things. I agree with what you said earlier, and I think it's really the point that every state, every community thrives far better, far more when there isn't corruption. And so anything you can do orders of magnitude corruption better. is going to be criminal. better. It's yeah, always going to wind up being better. Yeah. Because eventually the criminals take from everybody, everybody who's not a criminal really suffers. So you have to be right. a criminal in order to not suffer. And if that's the kind of the, the, the price to pay to be in that kind of envir environment is so high that it's not worth it. Well, certainly one of the problems in, in Arizona, and I think it's one of the reasons, one of the other reasons why there's resistance, you know, I, my, my field of study was always political science. Um, you know, passed a bachelor's degree into master's and PhD it was political science and especially public administration. One of the issues that you have in a place like Arizona, and it's not endemic to Arizona, it's just because of the, the nature of the local corruption instead of just statewide corruption, um, is that, you know, people get up in the morning depending on institutions. You know, if I have to go down the recorder's office, I can record a document. If I, you know, if somebody wrongs me, I can go to court and I can sue them. And it may take time, it may take money, it's not a perfect system, but there is redress. I have a place to go. If somebody tries to break into my house, I can call 911, the police will come. These are things that we count on. And when someone like, like me puts out a book and says, no, you can't, you've got corrupt police officers in Mesa. In fact, Mesa, in the city of Mesa, you've got a police department within the police department. You've got corrupt officers who, if they don't like you or they like your neighbor better, will arrest you. They'll put on you a high bail and stick you in jail for, for a month. Uh, if, uh, if you go to court you, and, and the other side is bigger or the judge has a relationship with that, that, that firm that's representing the defense, you're going to lose your case. No, uh, even if you're 100% in the right, yeah. Even if you're 100% in the right. If you have a child, and the worst one, which is the case with me, if you have a child, and the court appoints, you know, uh, you know, a, a you know, licensed social worker to determine custody or to at least make recommendations. You don't know that that person wasn't paid off. In, in my particular case with McKinley, we actually had one who was paid off. Barb Kiffmeyer was paid off to write a report. Uh, you know, when, when the system has gotten to that level of corruption, where even, you know, court appointed advisors, you know, advising the court on child custody matters are being paid off by members of the bar, by lawyers, by family law attorneys. Uh, you have nothing you can depend on any longer. And it's very, very, very hard for people. It's not hard for them to understand it, but it's very hard to grasp. And to go along with what I'm saying means you have to also go along with this, this insecurity. And that's well, very but, hard and to the do. Co that cost is too expensive. That cost is is you're losing your freedom because now your election didn't count. They fixed your elections. You're at risk from the danger coming in from the borders. You have drug right. cartels. You know, you have all this stuff that that cost is too expensive for a civilized society. You no longer have freedom for, or safety. 
So if well, your for freedom sure is, and safety, and, and, I, and I would, well, no, you know, I would say to you, make it. Well, let me, let me make it well, simple. I think that's precisely what the book says. Is you know, this isn't a book about corruption. You could go anywhere in the world and write about corruption. It's it's not that it's not that interesting. What this book essentially says is that all of the institutions in this state have been hijacked, uh, sometimes at the creation of the institution, sometimes after the fact, but they've been hijacked. This is the only state that I know of where pretty much every institution from the, from the city levels to the county levels to the state have been corrupted in some form or fashion to the degree that the quality of life that you are living is great if you don't have to use any of these institutions and is horrific if you do. Um, whether it be again at the county level, the city level. I, I mean, one of the, I just just as, as an as, a, as an oddity, um, one of the things we talk about in the book is we talk about a corrupt police officer uh, in Gilbert who was a lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Joe Kasich, who, who not only would give out tickets, you know, speeding tickets right and left, he would do so with with what was called a lidar gun, not a radar gun, a lidar gun. The difference is radar is radio waves, uh, lidar is light waves. He would use a lidar gun. He wouldn't turn on the gun. So he would simply point the gun at a car, go after the car, tell the driver they were speeding. The driver, if the driver wanted to fight the ticket, the driver would lose. If you actually look at the statistical data from Gilbert, from Mesa, from most of, you know, even from Phoenix, you will find that literally nobody wins a traffic case. And even worse, we actually followed about 200 appeals from the city courts to directly to the area, you know, the Maricopa County Superior Court, which is where the first appeal goes from a city court to the county court. And we found that out of, I think this was for the years 2015, 2016, for 215 appeals that were filed by, by motorists who claimed, you know, they were not speeding or they didn't do it or what, what have you, not a single appeal was upheld. Every appeal was denied, every single one, except for one. And the one that got accepted was not brought by the motorist, but brought by the city. Oh, okay. Yeah. To say that the, and, and at the same time, we were looking at this back in, we were actually looking at this for other reasons back in 2017, the Goldwater Institute, which is obviously very conservative, and the ACLU, which is obviously very liberal, did a study together, a joint study on this problem, and determined that the entire city court system in the state of Arizona was corrupt should be abolished altogether. And that, you know, if you're going to have, you know, a, a lower end court, you know, a, a kind of a misdemeanor kind of court, that it should all be connected to both the county and the state and should not be separate. Each city should not have their own separate court system. They're too corrupt. Um, well, and if it gets to well, that point where it's that corrupt. Well, let me, well, let me, say, one more, let me say one more thing. Well, okay, me say one more thing about this. Well, let me, let me say one more thing about this. In the case of Lieutenant Kasich, he was being given medals, medals, for safety, what he was really doing was ripping off the public. You know, those are the small insidious things that that happen. You know, you're driving to pick up your kid from school and you get a ticket. You're going 25 miles an hour. Nope, not according to him. And you cannot win your case. You have nowhere to go. And by the way, just, just as an aside on that, for all those people who did file appeals, the cities made it almost impossible because it would cost you to make do an appeal just from a traffic case at least $2,500. Oh so when gosh. you have the shot, when you have the ability to go to traffic school or even just get a point on your license, 2,500 bucks 
to go to a, an appellate court, go to the, 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 the county court and lose isn't worth it. So they win. They rip you off and they win. The city of the town, it's technically called the town of Gilbert, uh, probably made off of Lieutenant Kasich, you know, probably in the neighborhood of millions of dollars over all of the years that he worked. He's now retired. But the um, citizens you know, millions suffered. of dollars off of off of their own citizens by ripping them off. Yeah. And the citizens suffer. And, and what happens is you right. stop trusting the system. And when the trust goes away, then a lot of things happen. I mean, it, uh, it, exactly. Yeah. yeah. OK, well, I know in Minnesota, I had a case with the bank back in 15 years ago, maybe, gosh, how many years ago? Yeah, 15 years ago now. And at that time, not a single fraud case against the bank in our state uh, was one. I mean, they the banks won 100% of the cases. And uh, my attorney at the time said, you know, because we were dealing with the fraudulent bank, it got shut down right. by the FDIC and things, but the nobody could beat a bank, period. And so that's another, whenever you see numbers, a hundred percent kind of numbers, you know, there's fraud. Well, and, and that's, and that's the point, you know, anybody who, who does anything in any statistical analyses or anything in say political science, statistical analysis knows that if 215 cases are brought before the court and all of them lose, something's wrong in that system. That's um, right. And, 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 it's a, and it's a clear cut fraud. And of course the judge who heard all those cases, only one judge who heard all of those appeals um, that one judge, of course, where did she come from? The city courts. Well, but that's just so much of our problems when the justice system, no. there's no recourse for people, right? I mean, right. when we get to the point where our justice system, which is where we're at now, especially in Arizona and some other states, I'd use an example in Minnesota, you get to that point, it's it's better to abolish it and start over because you're, you're losing freedom, you're losing your security, you're use, losing your safety. I mean, you're losing what it, what matters most. Well, I mean, and, if you and don't it, think freedom matters, then yeah, I mean, I, uh, of course, of course it does. But even no, I'm not talking to you. That, I'm talking theoretically. But go ahead, hypothetically. No, no, but, but but no, of course it does, and and that's the problem. Like I said, one of the ways you know we've tried to bring this down to to you know the, the average person level is to explain that to say, look, if if you've got if there if you if you have a wife and you're thinking about having children, don't have them in the state of Arizona. Because you cannot trust the system. She gets the right lawyer. They'll pay off the child custody advisor, you know, to the court, and yep. you won't have your kids. And That's we right. actually, you know, not only not only did we, you know, did we obviously with someone like Barb Kiffmeyer, did we actually, you know, look at the case that happened with myself and McKinley, but we actually went out and interviewed over, I think, fifty three or fifty four different parents of different cases who got you know, sandwiched by this, who got flattened by this, where she clearly took bribes in their cases and found accordingly, you know, doctored her report accordingly. And now you've got parents and children suffering. You've got children suffering who cannot see their parents and, or certainly cannot see them, you know, the way they should be able to see them because this woman decided to go out and take bribes to supplement her income. That's right. And, and lawyers decided it was fine to pay the bribes. Um, that's, that's, that's on the personal level. You know, when you're driving, like I said, to pick up your kid from school and a police officer who doesn't know how to use the particular device, doesn't even turn on the particular device, simply decides to give you a ticket to up his numbers so that he can get medals, he can get accolades and the, and the city can make money. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? These things do affect you every day. It's not just kind of, you know, that that victimless money laundering thing. You know, well, they bought a property, they put money through it, but how does that affect me? 
I could explain 10 ways it does. But the problem is, is that it isn't simply that stuff. It is stuff on the on the very localized level, the day to day level, the stuff that you do on your given day can get you into trouble and you would never know why. And so part of what this book does is try to bring you not just into our investigation so that you feel like you're you have like a personal involvement. But I wrote it in such a way so that, you know, I think any person, um, even if they don't own a house, even if they don't make a lot of income, can see exactly where this could affect them uh, so that they understand, you know, the depth of this problem and why it's so important, like you said, to take the the hit, you know, with say a higher tax or, 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 or income issues or service issues for a while because of how bad this has gotten. Yeah. And, and we have to clean it up. It's just not worth it. It's too messed up. It's too crooked. Okay. So where do people get your book? Uh, uh, so right now the book is available pretty much everywhere. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it from Barnes and Noble. Um, if you prefer, especially for hardcover, lulu.com does a terrific job on hardcover books. Uh, Ingram Spark, uh, does it as well. And, and almost every platform now where, you know, Goodreads, any, any platform you can get it. You can also get it from reports to the governor.com. Uh, for mo most people understand that this book is about 630 pages, depends on which version you get. If you get the Kindle, I'm going to tell you it's about 900, um, but it's about 630 pages. It contains in it probably around a hundred documents that are embedded into the book itself. But within the book, we have about 507 footnotes that refer to over 5,000 pages of documents. And obviously, rather than put them in the book, which we've just made you know, for a 10 volume book, what we've done is we've taken the footnotes and we've put them on reporttothegovernor.com on the website for the book. There's a tab for that. It says footnotes on it. You can't miss it. It's at the very top. Click on that and the footnotes open up. And what we've done to make it even easier for readers is that any document that's more than a page or two we've actually put into a PDF book format. So it's like having a book within a book. So for example, we have over, I think over 1500 pages uh, alone of forensic documents, of, of question documents examiner, you might say handwriting expert, question document examiner reports. Uh, and what we've done is with each one of those reports, because they're you know 100 or more pages, we've made them into their own separate book. So it's like turning pages. It's like using Kindle within the website. Um, and that way it makes it easier to read and understand. So you can read this book all the way through. And if there's things you want to go back and look at, or even along the way, you want to verify what's he talking about. Is there really a document that says this? You can go directly to reporttothegovernor.com, go to the footnote number, click on it, and that document will open up for you. Um, so you can also purchase the book that way. So if you want an autographed copy of the book, you can go to reporttothegovernor.com. Uh, you, you'll find the, the order tab, you know, there, I think on the bottom of the first page, click on it, it takes you to the order and you can order, you know, Kindle. We take you to Kindle because we don't produce the Kindle book, but you can go to Kindle, which is available on Amazon. You can, you can buy the hard copy, the soft cover, whichever, whichever one you want to do, but it's pretty much available in, in every major uh, online outlet at this point. Well, thank you so much for everything you're doing. I love that you're exposing the criminality behind the justice system. I think this is, we're not getting anywhere in this country because we can't, the justice system is so broken. So when we're trying to solve all these other problems, you can't solve them because the justice system is broken. So it's so it's, important that you're exposing all of this. And it's, 
it's destroying it's, our it's a, it's a big part of it. Yeah, it's, it's a big part of it. Um, and I just wanted to say one last thing. Uh, you can kind of see the book behind me. That's one of the that's one of the early prototype hardcovers. Um, and just to give you, I'm going to grab this real quick, just to give you a sense. This is what people are, are talking about. Um, this gives you a sense of the thickness of this book. Um, so when you asked me before, what's the reaction? A lot of it is, wow, because of how big this is and, and all that's in it. Um, we tried to be as comprehensive as we could, uh, you know, without, without, you know, going, going too far. Um, we, we didn't put in everything, but we tried to give you, you know, a sense of how bad and how comprehensive this problem is. I'll also say that, you know, also to my upper, my, uh, I think on your end, your upper right, uh, is myself with McKinley. You know, it'll be McKinley's sixth birthday uh, in about a week. Uh, his birthday is on the 12th. Uh, he will be six years old. He has not been able to see me or have contact with me uh, since, since September 2020. Um, so yet another birthday is going to go by where he doesn't have his dad. These are the tragedies on a real human level. And it's not just me. As I said, we've, we've dealt now with multiple families uh, that have oh, this problem. It's everywhere. And, and, That's the point. And I'll, leave you, and I'll leave you with this. One of the things that we did um, you know, earlier this year uh, with the help of my friend Jim Wiley, is we created projectthaler.org. One word, projectthaler.org. Uh, there's information about it on reporttothegovernor.com. Uh, because of my, my lawyering skills, et cetera, and that of my office, uh, we decided to put together a charitable organization to help parents uh, who are having you know, abduction issues, whether a child was abducted by another parent or whether it was abducted by a state agency. Um, and we are we have now worked on, I think this year, probably about 10 or 11 cases um, throughout the country where this has happened. Um, we've been able to reunite some children with their parents already, which we feel terrific about. Um, you know, we're trying to take, you know, the lemons and make the lemonade. Um, you right. know, even if McKinley can't see me and I can't see McKinley at the moment, uh, guess what, folks? We can do other things to help people. So, you know, we ask people to take a look at, at projectthaler.org. And if it's something that matters to you, you know, we certainly, you know, welcome help. We welcome donations, everything. Uh, but we're going to be filing several civil rights violation cases in California, probably before the end of the year, to try to recover, you know, a, a series of children who were taken wrongfully uh, by the Child Protective Service Agency. Um, Good for you. So, you know, Good you know we're you. doing everything we can, you know, everything we can, not just to write a book not just to you know charge you money for a book, but to try to do real positive good. And like I said, um, you know, the parents of the kids who we've already reunited, I, I know are grateful and we're thrilled oh, that we can help. I'm I am sure. And I would like to see every AG in the country reaching out to you and saying, how do we get an investigation going in our state and start working towards recovering this country? Because that's what it's going to take. I mean, we're going to have to do the hard decisions. You're going to have yes. to prosecute some of these judges. It just is what it is. Yeah, exactly. And especially in a state like Arizona, um, where the election fraud is especially rampant in that's Maricopa right. County, uh, you know, you, you can't even trust anymore that your vote counts. And again, that is on a personal level. You know, regardless of who wins, it should be because that's how people voted, not how people in charge decided the vote should go. That's right. And that's happening in a lot more states than people realize. But thank you so much. Again, it's uh, reporttothegovernor.com, right? Yeah, you got it. 
and we will get this out and thank you so much keep doing what you're doing i i talk about your investigation a lot i'm really really very happy that you guys are out there we need more people out there we need every ag in the country con contacting you but thank you so much you are very welcome thanks for having me